Hello listener, Matt here. Support Ben, read his ramblings, or find further notes on this show at securitized.com, spelled S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y-Z-E-D.com. Hello, and welcome to The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. I'm Rafael Fiedler. And I'm Joey Police. And this week, as Matt already stole my thunder in our previous chats before starting this episode, what? we were going to talk about giving a bill of rights to Skynet. <laughs> but instead, instead, we're going to talk about a Bill of Rights or a proposed framework or structure for a Bill of Rights of how human beings, American human beings, will interact with Skynet. Um, well, um, first off, I would like to say I did not steal your thunder. <laughs> All I did was research because I have been ambushed by you so many times on this podcast <laughs> that I wanted to make sure that I was prepared with the proper information so that I would did not look like a complete idiot to our listening audience. You knew exactly <laughs> what the, my joke was going to be. You knew where I was going to go right from the title, didn't you? <laughs> right, right. I've become yeah. that obvious. I've become that predictable. <laughs> right. Yeah, whatever you say is not actually what it's going to be. So, yeah, I was trying to figure out what the twist was. Okay, great. So you've done research. Rafti, I'm sure, has done research. Yeah. A bit, yes. Yeah. I read through the thing. Okay. And Joey has no idea what the hell we were even going to talk about this week. So I think this is a really good, this is a really good way? blend. When you said Skynet, all I could think of is Miles My Dyson yes. with the quick inhales. <gasps> <laughs> that actor is is just phenomenal. Um, I'm trying to remember his name offhand. He was in Speed. He was in uh, Brother from Another Planet. He was the the lead actor. Uh, he's just he's great, and and he played that that role as Dyson wonderfully. Um, yeah. That's not what we're talking about. Matt, what the hell is the framework for the AI Bill of Rights? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Ben. Well, the White House, uh, the United States uh, federal government, the executive branch has put out a document. It's like 70 some pages regarding um, artificial intelligence, AKA AI, um, and how it's going to interact with the citizens of the United States. And it has a very misleading title. Like you said, it's the uh, AI Bill of Rights, which implies that the United States government is going to give rights to uh, artificial intelligence, which is the dumbest thing in the world. And uh, I think that that was causing a lot of concern and consternation. Uh, if all you read was the headline or, the, or the, the, the masthead of the document that the White House was putting out. But upon a little bit of further reading, which uh, the, uh, the, the document um, doesn't make clear until you get into it a little bit, it's actually describing how the citizens of the United States will have a Bill of Rights and um, uh, effectively some, some ways that are being recommended best practices to actually interact with AI. So it's not giving 
any rights to your toaster or to <laughs> your, or as Ben likes to say, your fucking toaster, <laughs> as he likes to call an AI. Uh, it's giving uh, uh, rights to humans and and guidelines on and guidance on how to um, implement AI in a in a safe and uh, secure private manner so that it doesn't cause any kinds of big issues down the road. I I love that explanation, uh, Rafi. You're nodding. Does that sound? Did, Matt did a pretty good job condensing it, didn't he? Absolutely. I I would say like I mean it's the the middle topic in there as well it's a lot about talking a lot about privacy and as matt already hinted at uh, how ai or machine learning or just like data what is used to train this stuff and i think we will go into the details there but yes good yes, so. and, and and i will say matt i i gotta just I, i'm gonna disagree with you at least on one element here the 70 pages i'm not getting that did i did I? Oh yeah, there's there, there's a lot of subheadings and chapters. It's so like there's there, there's the one main page on the whitehouse.gov, but then if you drill into it, yeah, it's oh, some it's a bunch more oh, pages. So it actually goes on. Okay, the only thing yeah. I'm looking at then is the the outline. The one, yeah, the one main page, right, right. Oh, well, shit. Okay, all right. So <laughs> I, I didn't do my homework. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you both for doing the homework because I, I, as the instructor, I sure didn't. It's kind of like uh, my my experience being a college professor. Um, <laughs> no, I did not read Dostoevsky. And this thing is actually called The Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights with the subtitle, Making Automated Systems Work for the American People. <laughs> that is so uh, Skynet dystopian <laughs> sounding. <laughs> it just, it doesn't, it sounds like they didn't frame it the right way, you know? I mean, right, you know, right. Now, now, a couple of things, even before we talk about the meat of the matter, before we talk about the content, couple of things you pointed out this comes from the white house the executive branch it is a disturbing repeat of a pattern that we've been seeing over the past 20 to 30 years and i think it has been increasing over our lifespan of the executive branch exceeding its power to try to make law which i really really don't like and i don't care who's in power when they're doing it i don't care if it's this party or that party or i don't yeah. care if it's a, a cooperative effort it should be the express job of the legislative branch to make law, the executive should stay the fuck out of it. Right. And and I see what you're saying there. And and it's important to note that I, I was very careful in my wording of the description that this is this is guidance. This is not law. And it's not expected to be a law. It's not proposed as law. Um, it's just basically, you know, like, like, like we deal with in our day-to-day -day jobs, best practices. It's it's guidance. But unfortunately, all of these things have been taken by the bureaucracy and run you know they've been given the ball and they've run with it and we've seen this with policy directives uh the one that created the the whatever they're calling the computer security thing for department of homeland security that was created by a policy directive from the white house uh we've seen this with executive orders which have become this weirdly enforceable thing over the past uh, few administrations that have been just awful and exceeding the power of the executive branch. The job of the executive is to enforce the laws that Congress makes, not to make their own laws. And whether they cloak them in the, the, the term of a standard or guidance, or that's all crap. <laughs> they, should, they should not be writing those things. So that's one thing. The other thing is to call it both AI, and as Rafti pointed out, a lot of it's dealing with privacy and some other issues. AI seems like they fixed on a buzzword to make it special scary. 
You know, it's, it's <laughs> one of those things where it's like, you know, this thing will get more traction. It'll get more teeth. These idiots on this podcast will talk about it. If we call it AI, uh -huh. as opposed to getting their shoe in the door for privacy and some other crap that they want as a policy matter and could call it the bill of rights is to piggyback on one of the fundamental aspects of our constitutional uh, 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 ethos. And, and it, it's, it, it's lending it power. They put all the spin into this title and then the subtitle they went dystopian with. So it's like, <laughs> it's such a piece of propaganda, but yeah. starting from there, starting from that. Now, Joey, you wanted to point something out too. And I, I think this is awesome. Go for it. Well, when, again, when we were talking about in, in the, Matt was explaining the opening comments in his remarks, which well done, Matthew, uh, <laughs> you know, giving rights to AI, my head immediately went to, hold on a second. There were literally several Star Trek episodes about this entire framework and about this topic. And that's one thing I always love about Star Trek is they were able to take the things that were going on in, in whatever political genre or whatever political atmosphere uh, and, and translate that into the science fiction um, uh, realm or rapper, if you will. But yeah, that's exactly what what they did with this. Um, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree, disagree with you there, Joey. I think what that was is the network and the creators found out that one of their properties became a beloved character, and therefore they just took that ball and <laughs> And you're it, probably hundred percent right. And having so. met some of those executives. I know exactly that that was the case. I, I, I am very familiar with that. Uh, to, to the point where uh, they were talking about in one particular exhibition of Star Trek Ephemera, how one of the shuttles was named Goddard and, yep. or Goddard. And yeah. Matt and I know who that was named after. They yeah. all thought it was the name of one of their other executives whose last name happened to be Goddard. <laughs> As opposed father to the of father of modern rockery. Rocketry, rocketry yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Robert H. Goddard. Um, so uh, that's um, opportunistic. Just, and I've always thought about those episodes. What if it wasn't Data, the beloved Brent Spiner character in the show? That's what I was going to ask. Was I don't know anything about Star Trek. Is this is this regarding Data, the android? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what if, it was a, what if it was a real doll? Okay. That, <laughs> and that, see, that would have been cutting edge. That would have been forward thinking. That would have been daring and exploratory. And instead they went with the easy way out because it was, you know, that character instead. Who's right. to say data wasn't a real doll at some point in his past. I, who's to say they didn't build that functionality and whoever that, right. you know, the, the character <laughs> that created the thing. Made for, made for yeah, uh, Dr. Noonien Sung is who created data. See, I'm <laughs> glad you know that. Oh, and that's that's very. I love, I love for the listeners. Matt literally threw his hands up, head back, like, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and didn't he also look? Didn't the creator look like? Wasn't it played yes. by Brent Spiner as well? Yeah, it, yeah. It was. Yeah. It was a uh, like a uh, what? What are they called? A doppelganger? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He just made it in his own image because correct. Yeah. Okay. Lazy. <laughs> Why not? Lazy writing. Um, <clears throat> and Brent Spiner wanted more airtime. Uh. Is Brent Spiner the Urkel of Star Trek? Yes. And he was also, he finagled that into a multi-picture deal with, I think it was Paramount. Uh, he's the scientist who gets killed in Independence Day at Area 51. But then mm, they yeah. bring him back for the sequel. 
That one. Yes. Yeah. What, what was that barely came through, Joey? I don't, not that I want to hear it again, but what the heck did you just do? That's the famous Brent Spiner quote from Independence Day when he's up against the glass saying, release me. Oh, okay. the, <laughs> sorry, uh, Matt. Another pop culture reference. I've, se I've seen Independence Day. I had no idea that he was in it because I, he, he's not on my radar as being anyone of any import. So now, now Robert Goddard, on the other hand, I do know quite a bit about it. So anyhow. To okay. get to bring it back so, around. So, now talk, we've gone. so to talk about the subject, um, there are five portions of this blueprint, and I think it'd be worth breaking down each of them and, and what they kind of say. Um, uh, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the first and third to Rafti uh, because I think I think they're very much in his wheelhouse. Uh, the first uh -huh. one's, the first one, safe and effective systems. Uh, from what you can gather from this blueprint document, Rafti, what do you what do you see that their goal is here with this? Yeah. I think from yeah, <laughs> Rafti's a little bit lost. He's not. Are you taking a back? Should I hand this one to Matt instead? <laughs> of course, you you of course can. Um, in that regard, I think um, this was a little bit confusing to me as well. Good. Uh, I'm not sure no, why you're you saying that, like, it's confusing as hell to me. That because I, I don't understand where you think this this fits me. But what I found was that this like this was the part where for me it it sort of turned, and I'm like, okay, what what they are they trying to get into all of this as well? Like, I I uh, so much agreed with all this stuff afterwards. I'd say or more agreed, especially of course with the privacy thing and stuff and uh, um notice and explanation and all of this uh, very gdpr uh in my when i when i read this i'm like okay but with the safety and effective systems um yeah matt if you have something more to say to that segment i'm like well please. reading from the the website you should be protected from unsafe or ineffective systems that's that's sentence number one uh, bolded yeah. Well, yeah, duh. Everybody should be protected from safe and ineffective or, or uh, in, uh, in, yeah, ineffective systems. That's, that was the word. Uh, automated systems should be developed with a consultation from diverse community stakeholders, domain experts to identify concerns, risks, and potential impacts of the system. Systems should undergo pre-deployment testing, risk identification, and mitigation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, blah, blah. okay, okay, okay. So, yeah. What's it boil so down to? Hire a CISSP? Yes. And... <laughs> Okay. And and to me, it seems like the precautionary principle as applied to computer science. What they're saying is prior to deploying something, you got to know that it's safe. Well, sorry, that's not how physics fucking works. And that's not yeah. how innovation works. That's not how creativity works. Go ahead, Rafti. Now you're smiling. What? No, no, no. All of this. And I was confused. I'm like, okay, why is this in here? And, and I agree. I, I, I'm so glad that the two of you apparently had the same reaction to this. I was just confused if you want to, if there is something in there that I did not understand. Or it did not shoves get. a foot in the door and to mix my metaphors, creates a slippery slope for oversight prior to release which again stifles innovation it it reduces the ability of you to build a system in your garage and go to market with it instead you're going to have to go through some regulatory steps or you're going to have to hire some outside auditor who's certified in being precautionary or something like that you're going to have to get a stamp of approval from someone before you're allowed to go public with your technology and to me that's highly distasteful 
it removes a big part of the beauty of IT, which is anyone can do it. <laughs> Joe, what does Star Trek say about that? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to put together your your frame of thought and then look what is what does this model look like ten years from now? You know, um, I'll tell you exactly what it looks like ten years from now. There's a new federal office of IT innovation, purposefully misworded to give the impression that they're helping innovation when in fact what they're doing is reducing it. And that office will be the sole arbiter of whether or not the product you make can be allowed to be sold or used. That's mm. what will happen 10 years from now. You know what this makes me think of is the technology that we call Java. Because there's a very famous caveat in the um, uh, terms, of, uh, uh, terms of service for Java whenever you use Java. And I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something to the effect of this cannot, this software can never be used um, in an air traffic control situation. <laughs> and and it was, it's been in there for years, for decades now, because Java's been around since the mid-90s. So someone somewhere, when Java was being developed, realized, oh, Java's good, but it's not that good. And so we cannot have human lives developed or, or depending on this, this software. And that's been that language has been around in their terms of service for for you know for for decades now for almost thirty years, so and but, it's but, an but, effort but, to reduce liability, right? Yeah. But the yeah kind of the point being they figured that out on their own. They didn't need any government oversight to realize Java sucks whenever you're trying to keep airplanes from smacking into each other. Yep. So why, why why can't we trust the uh, the market to determine whether something is safe or not on its own as we've done so far? Because Matt, someone will get hurt. Don't you care about the deity? Don't you care about oh, the children, boy. Matt? Depends on which ones. <laughs> so, at what point do we, as a, as a, uh, um, let's, I'm just Rafti, your your country excluded here, the United States, saying, uh, you know, oh, government, please save us from ourselves or yep. protect us from ourselves, is really what this sounds like. Just more, I, I hate to use the word, control and oversight and handcuffs, nannies. Mm -hmm. It, that's exactly yeah, yeah perfect example and that's exactly what this is this is a way that the white house can push a policy that congress has refused to adopt for decades um they saw that no one was going to make the law because this law is counter to everything that america stands for and instead they're going to push it with executive power didn't I they try to do something not in this not in the ai sense but didn't they try to do something where they were going to try and treat the internet like a utility? Yeah. Yeah. They, they yeah. Every single aspect of, of human existence they've tried to take control of. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, if you expanded it, uh, the section into a little uh, more detail and go get into it, I think there are a couple of things, um, uh, in the section why this principle is important which have been interesting to me to quickly brush over now uh to refresh my memory rem uh, memory in regards to this and uh one of the 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 things in there is many of these harms resulting from these technologies are preventable and actions are already being taken to protect the public and um so what they're basically trying in an in further explanation of this point say that those uh, safe and effective systems means that you need to be aware of the the harms that can come of this. And I think 
um, that um, is looking in the pharmaceutical market because mm, I don't know if I already told this on this podcast. I'm a chemist by trade. Um, this is what I studied, and um, so and I, I worked in the life science sector for a couple for many years. And I think that the innovation there, everybody hates on big pharma, I know. But um, big pharma actually has a lot of difficulties. And uh, a common thing I like to share with people is that aspirin, like the buyer uh, headache medicine that so many people, at least in Europe, take when they have a headache. Um, yeah, this, is, this would not pass current regulation because it's not all the exactly this many harms resulting from this technology this is, like this, this is, aspirin this medicine this is saying you can't Could have you, the anti-cancer medicine because it'll cause constipation this is someone coming in and saying because there's an unintended consequence or a side effect or something that we don't like you can't have this and the answer is what joey is saying I should be able to accept risk for myself and nobody else should tell me right. what that risk should be. And, 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 and I, I think that, and I think talking with about big pharma, there is a good option as well, because if you look at the market, if you look at how many new like aspirin, for instance, has been, or many, like if you think about penicillin, those are small innovations, which have been able by like some chemists somewhere in the world uh, being able to be discovered and, and actually like innovated in this field today um, most new medicines are just like iterations of stuff that's already there and yeah. actual innovation is very stifled very so small. i think yeah it's not incremental can, growth yeah yeah and this is what i just wanted to to bring into this conversation where i'm like well if you we don't actually have to fear monger and talk about well this could be this happened and this is happening in the pharmaceutical space already there we have consolidation big companies buying smaller ones which actually do some innovation and then yeah yeah of maybe course. something and this, of it and we've seen this we've seen this in every area yeah. we've seen it in transportation we've seen it in it, every area that government gets involved in innovation and creativity gets stifled we've seen that all right, now we only got a half hour left, so we got four more sections to do. <laughs> the, the, section, the, the second section is algorithmic discrimination protections. I'll take this one. I think what they're talking about here is historically we've seen bad responses, bad accuracy in a lot of biometric algorithms, particularly facial identification, um, where we've seen these things both humorously and otherwise discriminating against, for instance, people of color, yes. not because the AI is saying, I don't like you or, or I like you. That's not what the AI is doing. The AI is incapable or uh, not as good at seeing certain pigments or reflections of color spectrum simply because it can't perform as well. And yeah. that and it, go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, and and largely that's been attributed to the fact that you know AI part of uh, uh, of AI is that you have to train it like a child or something like that, and so you feed it lots large data sets, and the data sets that um, face rec facial recognition, for instance, are fed, uh, the data sets that they use, are often white people, not people of color. I'm not so sure and, that's the case. So, I, I, I'm honestly not so sure that's the case. I think some okay. of it has to do with optics. It okay. literally well, has to do with the way light refracts from a surface. And and 
and white well, people bounce really well. <laughs> of course, the technology, right. but also because the technology, of course, has been developed to take pictures um, of like white people, uh, because just throughout history, this has been I, at least in the beginning. I think most of the pictures, if you look in how how it all started with the, all those silver sheets and stuff, yeah. and yeah, um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and 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 people of color nowadays uh, will will tell you very quickly. Um, modern cameras are much better at, at taking yep. photographs of people of color nowadays because they have adapted the optics and the processing so that it, it can do so. But yeah, up, up until 10, 15 years ago, it was very, very uh, heavily weighted towards being able to take good pictures of white people and not people of color. And, and the question is, is it because the white people were optimizing for white pictures? And and I think the answer is yes. It, it, Probably it, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so now, does that mean that the... <laughs> that the algorithm has to account for those things or that the optics or the visual or the AV capture? I don't know. It seems like this was thrown in there as sort of a gotcha moment of here's another <laughs> reason why you need the government to level the playing field. Uh, because well, I think the technology that the, was failing. the thrust of it is if you're going to use an AI algorithm uh, combined with uh, uh, security cameras, for instance, and use that AI algorithm to identify faces, uh, you 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 have to trust that it will not discriminate based upon color, and and I, and I think that that's a noble uh, gesture uh, for you know, or or a statement for it to make is yeah yeah it's going to equally screw up identifying white people as it is going to screw up identifying black people, but you know it's it, 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 it's, I think it's something that should be there. And I'm just going to throw in, and we'll, we'll close this one and go to the next one and let Rafti take the lead, but I'm just going to throw in another TV show besides Star Trek. The ill-fated and too short series Better Off Ted uh, had an excellent episode about this where their lights were activated by uh, motion sensors and the doors were activated by motion sensors and the motion sensors couldn't detect the black employees. <laughs> so they had to hire a bunch of white people to follow the back black employees around <laughs> oh, to activate gosh. all the sensors. Oh, that's terrible. Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. I, yeah. I never heard of that show. But, it's uh, excellent. That's... If you get an opportunity, there's only two seasons. It's wonderful. Uh, okay. Data privacy is the next section. Rafti, tell us about what the blueprint says. Well, it's, um, of course, as I said, it's, uh, I had to think about the GDPR a lot when reading through this and the general idea is, um, like on the topics from before, um, we already said, um, AI and machine learning always has to be trained. And this basically is fit in there, um, that you should be able to tell what um, part of your data you want to share so that it can potentially be trained on. Um, so, so if you're creating course, a data set, it, it, it can't have personally identifiable information. It just has to have the data that's required for it to train with, right? In in there, it gives, it is a little bit different. As I said, it, it reminds me of the GDPR. It's more about you being allowed to tell, for instance, um, Facebook, what data, like if you want to remove data from there, that you mm. should be able to remove it. So they cannot train algorithms or apply algorithms towards you, you know, Okay. Uh, maybe in that regard as well. Or so if they use is, my data for a training algorithm, then I should be able to be, be, conf uh, 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 give consent for my data to be in that, that data set. 
Is that something that's... The yes, best? I have not you, to The way I understand this, Rafti hit the nail on the head. This is getting the GDPR into the U.S. That's the purpose of this. Uh, and, it's, and it says basically that you have to clearly inform the user as to which data is being collected and the purpose to which that data will be used. Straight mm -hmm. out of GDPR. Okay. And, yeah. and um, I, again, I... I I respect the effort, but we've already seen what the effect is with GDPR, and um, it goes right against the First Amendment. Moreover, were I to craft a terms of service today for uh, a platform that I was building, my entire terms of service is I will collect as much data about you as possible, I will use it to exploit you as much as possible, and I will use it for absolute profit in every way. And I'll just say, I'll just give that blanket thing and let the user jump off the cliff. And then nobody can ever say that I was trying to hide my intent, you know? Complete <laughs> transparency is always the best model. Yeah, it's not the but, crime, it's the cover-up. I don't want to, yeah, that is of course true as well. I don't want to go too deep into this, but of course, Ben, you know, it's not it, like the GDPR as well says um you, the user should be allowed to use the service and i think this is where you have an issue without uh, giving his data away this is i understand where you have the issue but i think one part of uh, the whole thing that i like is it should it should be reasonable yeah uh we at saving for instance we ask for a country we ask for a country code and this is the only information we store and you're required um, to for tax purposes. The we're required to, to tax purposes. Require you to exactly. Do that. Yeah, yeah. But what do what do we not do? We don't save an IP address. Uh, many just ask for a country and save the IP address next to it, so the two data points are there. We ask for two data points. Of course, it's a little bit more of a hassle, but we chose this so that we don't have personal identifiable information. So I think there are ways around it. And of course, for us, this makes it hard. We don't actually know where our customers are from. We are just asking them, and if you don't want to pay taxes then you can pick a country where or like a state where you, you don't pay taxes and, and, and um and, for us and i'm going to disagree with you rafty my reading of gdpr says if someone declines to consent to collection you can refuse them service except if you're a government agency or it's a public service that has to be provided if i'm a private sure. company and you don't want to share with me i don't have to let you use my stuff yeah, which yeah. Just goes back to another topic we had earlier, and I think I like exactly. this. I don't about, want about baking the pie and whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I but just in general, I'm like I. What I wanted to say there as well is I think there can be if you. Um, it's not like you're banning all internet forums because this is something I heard because it's so hard to not keep data. The data just flows in. It, this is not true, of course. If you if you think about it, if you see what data would I handle. And just not saving it is already enough because, of course, like the internet works with IP addresses. This is an, an issue I find with the privacy community a lot where people just don't understand how the internet works. And I'm just like, I won't, I don't, I don't touch this as well. Or I'm like, no, I don't, I don't tell you that we see your IP address because we have to. Of course, this is how the internet works. We just tell you we're not saving any data of you. And this is, of course, true. But I'll, um, I'll, I'm going to, at risk of beating a dead horse, you mentioned Facebook yeah. and pulling that data back. Or Joey, did you mention? I forget who mentioned that. I said um, it, yeah. Uh, in one of the recent Bruce Schneier cryptograms, which I highly recommend everyone subscribe to and read monthly, mm -hmm. um, he pointed out that during their testimony to Congress, Facebook executives admitted they have no idea how Facebook works. 
<laughs> their engineering, their their DevOps, their agile approach has been so lacking in documentation and built on, you know, add this function, add that function, collect this, add, that they have no idea what they've created. They have no idea today if they had to follow and map a particular user. They don't know if they're collecting all that user's data. They don't know how it relates to other data sets. They have no clue. And, and, and when you get to a certain scope and scale, that's going to be the case. Yeah, and, 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 and the issues. And Skynet is born. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> By accident. And so what I'm saying there is the argument for this to, to stifle innovation, I think, is not true. Because as you're saying, it's harder for old companies which have legacy code, which they have no clue how it is working, and, and have to keep people on staff who know this weird, old, outdated programming language because nobody knows how it's working anymore. Um, this is they have an issue there. They have problems, but new ones can just opt for less data. You don't need it. Um, but a new company will be old five years from now. I, that's the way IT works, you know. And, and okay. all right, so partially next, true. Yeah, but as I said, like if with the system is in place, not collecting data, then then you still have legacy code issues. But if, if you don't have the data, you don't handle the data. You don't have any issues there. This is where Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec recommends that all teenagers learn COBOL. All right, so next section. <laughs> next section, notice and explanation, which seems redundant to the previous privacy section. Did yeah. you feel that way, Rafti? Matt? Um, which one are we looking at here? Notice and explanation? Yeah, you should know okay. that an automated system is being used yeah. and understand how and why it contributes to outcomes that impact you. Mm. Mm, okay, sure. Yes. And again, that's where they're going to publish another 140-page terms of service that no one's going to read anyway, and they're going to click through to change their dog to look like a pineapple. That's just what human beings do. I mean, that you know, yeah, okay. Uh, the next one is, okay, this is the one that really gets me. I love this one. Mm -hmm. Human alternatives, consideration, and fallback. What does this mean to you, Matt and Rafti? For the for the uh, one beforehand, notice and explanation, I just have a point. I don't know how this works for you. We in Europe, we started to get have banks which do not have a physical presence anywhere. It's just a digital bank. And so if you apply, for instance, for credit there or something like that, no human ever sees stuff like this. They don't. And I think in that regard, it's not bad that people have to know that what they're just asking somebody, and we all experience this. You you get an answer from a bot, and of course, we now sort of like are aware that the email you're getting back is not written by a human. But as as uh, AI gets better, and I think this is looking into the future, um, they want to make sure that if uh, <laughs> an AI gets smart enough that you don't actually are aware that you're talking to an AI. Um, that you should be made like aware that this is an AI and that oh, they okay. cannot right. fool so if it's you. A chat bot, it has to say, I am a chat bot. I am not a person. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and overarchingly, that, I think that you should, what, what is the thrust of it is, is if you insist, I don't want to talk to a phone tree. I don't want to talk to a toaster. I want to talk to a human. That company has to make a human available to you. And they can, and that human has to be able to fix your problem just as well as the AI could. Yeah. Now here's my question. 
if the AI has to notify you who they are, that they're an AI, does the human have to notify you that they're a contractor in some third world sweatshop <laughs> that may or may not adequately speak your language and is working from a heuristic checklist that absolutely goes through the same decision tree that the AI would have faster at yeah. less efficiency. <laughs> I, and I understand that this is, of course, now opting for the chatbot thing. But as I said as well, like, and this is the reason why I talked about banks, uh, because I feel like talking about money and talking, or if I, it, it's always nicer to talk with a human. Um, I just feel like this. I'm, I'm, I like to go and talk with my bank employee um uh, also for the company as well and stuff and so for me this is always a pleasant experience i get coffee i i talk with them and i think um being reduced to to a chat bot for stuff like this would not be you yeah, are so you cuddly grow. you are so cuddly <laughs> i don't want to deal with human beings i have to yeah. i have to like shower to talk with a human being i have to you know put on clothes to talk with a human being the human being has to like me and if they don't like my attitude they can screw up the process for their own personal choice human being is, is squishy and wet and and all of those emotional things whereas the ai if i can get into my bank account and transfer money without ever talking to anybody that's a hell of a lot more efficient you're talking about the movie Demolition Man now. So I can relate everything that you guys are talking to into pop culture at some point. This is literally Demolition Man. with. I don't know time. how to use the seashells, Joey. <laughs> regards to, in regards to this, but then in, in, in addition, maybe ben, what you're saying is, well, um, the AI is easier to talk to and is easier to get the checklist through. But of course, a human then maybe has to put this into a computer. And I'm not sure if this would have to be labeled here as well, because like an AI then would make the decision, which I think would be here as well. But of course, like in regards to banks, and as I said, like with the loan situation, it's a difference if this person looking at your bank account, looking at your history has to have a, make a gut decision while looking at you, looking how you're dressed, looking how smelling how you smell, and then think, oh, yeah, well, this person actually is suited for it. Or uh, the algorithm just tells uh, them plainly, no, this person cannot have a bank account, uh, have, cannot have a loan. And there has been in Germany, this is, a, this is the reason why I opted for this in Germany, there actually um, uh, was a reporting done, I think, two or three years ago, where they were talking about um, like how people's lives are shaped by this um, a, a mother of two kids, single uh, single mother, had wanted a loan to get a new flat in a bigger city for a better job, but the bank uh, bought said no. Um, this is not she cannot afford this with her salary and with her track record. She cannot afford this. And what the whole thing investigation then was? Well, they're discriminating based on 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 just like data and and they're like keeping her in those rails where she's not allowed to get get break out of where she currently is with her living standards so yeah, it's called judgment yeah <laughs> and we use your I, past behavior to indicate future performance that's that's kind of how we that's kind of how society works but I think that people can change, you know, I, and we talked about this Absolutely. last episode as well. But first, you have to demonstrate the change before I'm going to lend you my money. Sometimes in that case, of course, be. she needed. I, I understand. But in that case, of course, this woman had to needed the needed the money for to be able to make this change as well. And I think this sometimes just needs trust as well. Um, we 
in the past hired people as well, where we are like, well, they don't seem the most responsible now, but we hope they grow and we hope to get them to a point where they can be a productive part of our team. Rafti, can not, you not, loan me a thousand euros? Now, from what how you look, you dress nicely. <laughs> I don't know how you smell, but I think. Yeah. <laughs> I hope and you I say know. no, because my, my past performance in such things is, should not give you any indicator I'm going to change in the future. <laughs> but uh, but I don't know. And, you know, I mean, a thousand euros, of course, would be like a lot upfront uh, from a trust perspective. But I think from, yeah, it's, it's just like in that regard, I feel like uh, the human factor is important. And I think that from a society perspective, I rather... Um, be uh, uh, more on the human factor than on the just data, cold data factor. And I am well, going to side with the millennial on this one. Uh, and, and I love where he's going with it. I think you have to have the human factor. Once you begin to completely eliminate that interaction and that, that social component, I think we really are in jeopardy of, of changing uh, who we are at the core. Which is really odd because in a previous episode, you argued argued very effectively against subjectivity in making a determination of whether PayPal should decide whether you get fined for things you say. We, we How is that, that? That has nothing to do with personal interaction. That's, su that's a subjective judgment made by a human being as opposed to objective criteria applied ubiquitously no. and uniformly across a population. My argument is the interpersonal. I, I, I know that I, I know that there have to be humans behind the algorithms and behind the, the technology, so to speak. That I, I don't think that that's what I'm communicating. I'm saying what Rafti is saying, where, where they don't have physical banks and they're all just all digital now. I, I, I think you need to see that teller across the way and, hey, how are you? And so on and so forth. And hoping that people will change is exactly how we created the housing bubble, how we created the recession. How When you give loans to people who have demonstrated they will not or cannot pay them back, you hurt everyone, and the price of those loans harms the people who earn that money that was to be lent out. So, Ben, are you saying... Sorry, Rafti, go ahead. No, but I'm just saying in that regard, like, there was a, a human factor, and this was not kindness. This was not... This was, was of course, greed. And this was, of course, people who were, no. like, with the housing bubble. There was. There were, no, like, no, they were, they no, were pushing it was the bubble the, and seeing no, a trend. It was the same bureaucrats. Investing. It was the same bureaucrats who made a law to the bank that said, aha, you're not giving enough credit to people who are not creditworthy. Therefore, we will regulate you so that you must give loans to risky people that you otherwise would not give loans to. So are you saying you want to move more towards an Ernest Klein utopia of Ready Player One? Is that where you're wanting this or is that what you're envisioning? I think objectivity and data, what we would used to call science, is a better indicator of performance than anything else. And a particularly a single mother of two children has made two bad decisions already. <laughs> oh, maybe, wow. maybe it was just wait, one. Wait. <laughs> we got, we got, we got here. We got the opinions of Ben Maliso do not reflect on anyone else on this episode. <laughs> that is a, that is a very clear demonstration of poor fiduciary judgment. All right. So, so this, so back to the blueprint, what they're saying here is, you should, if there's an AI in place for this service, you should be able to force the service to 
shunt you over to a person and that person should be able to handle your issue in the same way. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think that's what the thrust of this is, is that uh, if there are some things that you want to talk to that you're fine talking to a chat bot with, and there's some things that you want a human to talk with when I'm canceling my Sirius XM subscription or my, my cable TV service, I don't need to have somebody get on the phone line and try to convince me just to stay with them and offer a bunch of discounts. I just want a chat bot that, that that's like, okay, sorry, Mr. Snotty, we'll see you. Or, sorry to see you go, but you're now canceled. That's an instance where I would rather not talk to a human, but then there are instances like when I'm banking where I'm perfectly happy talking to a pleasant person who's going to deposit my money for me. So it, it, all, all I think that this is giving guidance on is if there's an option for a, for a chat bot, there should also be an option for a person. I like I like Matt's little package there that I, I'm in that package. So what you're saying is now if somebody wanted to take sensuous sounds offline, all they'd have to do is send me 100 emails a day. And now I am forced as a human being to reply to 100 emails. I think you're this taking it to an extreme. Here. No, that is nothing. This to do does with not that. scale. And what you're doing is you're saying the entire point of automation, which is to reduce the burden on human beings now has to be stifled by requiring that the buggy whip manufacturers follow our electric cars everywhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Can we, can, can we move on from this? This is it. That's, <laughs> it. That's it. That's the last one. Okay. That's okay. The because one. the reason I want to move on from it is I want to make sure that we, we, we point out why, and, and I'm not defending uh, this document in any way. I do want to give some context for it. And the, the context I want to give is, there's a thought experiment called the uh, uh, an AI that would be called the paperclip maximizer. It's a thought experiment. Yeah. I forget who came up with it, but it's been popular with um, um, AI uh, doomsayers. In other words, uh, if you created an AI today and its only goal in the world was to create paperclips, that's all it ever wanted to do. If it, as it grew and learned, because it's an AI and it's, it's, it's making more and more paperclips, what it learns is, Oh, I'm being rewarded for more, making more paper clips. And so I'm going to try to make more paper clips by however way that I need to. As the AI grows and gets more uh, uh, abilities and things like that, it's going to make more paper clips. But at some point, it's going to run out of metal. And so then it's going to start finding other ways to uh, farm the atoms. And then it's going to eventually look at the humans that are, that are tending to it and say, oh, the atoms that, that are taking up you or would be better used to make paper clips with until all of a sudden this AI becomes a, you know, the size of a planet and all it's doing is creating paper clips and there's nothing left on it. This is the thought experiment that I think is driving some of the things that are in this document because the paperclip maximizer, yeah, you can see where it ends up, but at the very beginning, no one realizes that the paperclip maximizer is going to turn into a planet sized thing that eats up all the humans. It's it, a better one is Fantasia Mickey. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, the yeah. uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Correct. Yeah, when, okay. Yeah. When when Mickey Mouse automates the mops to carry water, they right. just keep making more mops to carry more water, and right. you end up right. with but, a flood. But if we just implement Asimov's three laws into that AI, <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but what about the fourth law? There's there there's there's the zeroth law. I, I, yes, Matt, I agree with you. The intent is benevolent. But as we've seen throughout history, every time someone tries to put their thumb on the scale in a benevolent force measure, it overcorrects. You end up with unintended consequences. And we just see this over and over again, and especially in technology where nobody really understands where it could and should go. 
I'm I'm so wary of this. And of all the people that I don't want doing this, the president of the United States is at the top of the list. Whoever that president <laughs> is, I'm not talking about the current president. I'm talking about any president. I really don't want them having that power. So you would argue that if someone created a paperclip maximizer AI today, and it starts out a small scale and it's making paperclips, you're totally okay with that. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is, I don't want Mickey to have to scrub the floor on his hands and knees because someone's afraid that too much water will be poured out. That to me, that's the precautionary principle. And the precautionary mm -hmm. principle, as as Rafti clearly pointed out, has got has inhibited pharmaceutical development that could have been exponentially better for the human race and instead has declined in the growth that it showed at the beginning of the 20th century to what we have now, which is putting a hat on a hat and changing a few, a few molecules here and there just to maintain your patent. Instead of curing diabetes, we're going to make better and better insulin every year just to keep up with FDA approval. That's bullshit. And that is bureaucracy writ large. Do I get it mm -hmm. right, Rafti? I, I agree. I agree in that regard. But what I'm saying there as well as um, you were saying so, so correctly, they're trying like like that uh, legislation like this would have impacts which they cannot know what they are. I'm not sure if they read the safety and effective uh, effective system part of their bill proposal where they should check what sort of like impact this could have. You know, um, it's funny that they're like, not following that, their own advice. Exactly. Yeah. In that regard, yeah. <laughs> they should be slow about this and it should be aware of all the consequences it might have and stuff like that. And of course, it's only a, it's only, as you said, it's from the executive branch. This is not uh, going into law um, like this and anything. But I, I agree. Um, also, in regards to what I'm why am I not scared if something like this would go online? Um, I don't know if you heard about uh, recent changes that YouTube is making in regards to 4K and regards to pushing more ads on uh, onto people. I think what stuff like this is doing, like what I saw on Reddit now, and I think uh, Ben, you would like this. People are are now like pushing Pornhub to have more safe for work content and maybe a safe for work section because it's a it's basically it's a, a much YouTube more free -like platform. Yes. And, and we pointed and, like, this out there a year be, ago where gun advocates will, were moving their content over to Pornhub. Yeah. No, and there will be there will be alternatives and as I long as you allow the market to do what it's supposed to do. I <laughs> and and YouTube is a juggernaut. I remember the days when there were all other platforms beside next to YouTube and they were all now like moved out. But now that YouTube as a monopoly um tries to maximize uh, maximize their profit profits. And people are like, well, but this doesn't work for us anymore. There are alternatives uh, popping up left and right. And even old-ish, like Pornhub stuff, like um, move into the sector now because YouTube is making That's a the space way competition there. works. It's a self-regulating field. We don't need the nannies doing it. Okay. We have to let Matt go because he's got a prior commitment. Um, this has been uh, the end of the episode. Oh, quick note. For those of you in San Antonio, there is a live wannabe a CISSP course happening in San Antonio next month. That is the month of November. Uh, check out the wannabe a CISSP website for more details. Anybody else got a business thing they want to promote? Nope, but this will be dropping the Friday before Halloween. So happy Halloween to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> Happy Halloween. All right. Until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. I'm Rafael Peter. And I'm Joey Police. <laughs>
Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com, and that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel WannaBeACISSP. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to Ben at BenMaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience. If you enjoy this podcast, take a listen to The Topic of Choice with host Joey Police, his sidekick Matt, that's me, and lots of interesting guests. Now in its third season, Joey leads open conversations, reviews, and interviews about all kinds of interesting and exciting topics, often with a pop culture take. It's a fun show released weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.